So uh, this morning I'm getting uh, carrying on with uh, battles, uh, storms and battles, and uh, I hope that's been helping you over the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, what we've been preaching about and what we've been talking about, how we go through seasons, we go through some storms, we go through some battles, and storms are governed by seasons, right? Storms are governed by seasons. Seasons change, just like in the natural, you have seasons that change. You have summer, you have winter, every single season has a purpose. Every single season has a purpose, right? We don't go through seasons just because. Uh, in the natural, there's a purpose behind every season. And in, in our lives, there is a purpose behind every season that we go through. We saw that seasons are God-ordained, that, that when we go through seasons, we go through wilderness seasons, we go through stormy seasons, that every single time that there was a season in Scripture, it was always God-ordained, that God always led excuse me, His people into a season, into wilderness, into, uh, into a storm. And it is in uh, those seasons that God, in essence, what we are trying to do, and what God is really trying to teach us, is the, what, we, uh, what worked in the previous period where we were in, the pre previous territory we were in, will not work in the territory that we're going to. Okay, are you hearing me? So Israel was in Egypt, and what worked in Egypt will not work in Canaan. Are you with me? Okay. What worked and the mentality that they had in Egypt will not work in the promised land. Right? So God takes Egypt out, takes Israel out of Egypt and leads them through the wilderness, but He needs to take Egypt out of Israel. Because what worked in, Israel, in, in Egypt will not work in Canaan. It will not work in the promised land. And the same thing with you and I. What worked now is not going to work in the next territory that you're in. Where God is leading you and I, what we are, what we work, what works now, what we're used to, our mentality, the way we think, the way we interact, it will not work in where we're going to. You cannot have a slave mentality in the promised land of the place that you're supposed to occupy. You, you need to hear what I'm saying. If you are to occupy a territory, which is what Israel was supposed to do in Canaan, the promised land, the place uh, flowing with milk and honey, all of us have promised lands. All of us have promises that God has spoken over us, whatever that might be. It might be uh, as simple as uh, uh, provision for your family. It might be uh, 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 children that God speaks over you, a promised land, right? A territory that you're to occupy. Israel was to occupy the promised land. It was supposed to take authority, drive out the inhabitants and occupy their territory. It cannot have the same mentality as what it had in Egypt. Because in Egypt, you have a slave mentality. You're told what to do. You are bound. You're in bondage. You are told, go here, go there, and you work for a master. When you go into a promised land territory, you cannot have the same mentality. So there's always an in-between, which is called the season. Okay? A wilderness period. Because what God is trying to do in a season, in a stormy season, in a dry season, He's trying to remove those things the mentality and the mindset that worked in Egypt, but will no longer work in Canaan, the promised land. So seasons are always God-ordained. Now, they're not nice sometimes. The, the most uh, beneficial season to you and I are the ones that are, that are not comfortable. They are the ones that, uh, that are cold, they are dry, nothing is going on, there's a famine, all of those things, those are the seasons that are, not, uh, that are not comfortable, but they're the most beneficial. Because nothing grows on the mountaintop, it grows in the valley, right? So when God take us, takes us through a valley period, when God takes us through a dry season, a stormy season, whatever that might be, He's trying to work some things on the inside of us, because what worked back then and what works now is no longer going to work where you're going. And where, if it's not going to work where you're going, then who, guess who's the best person to draw close to you is the one who ordained the season in the first place. And who is the one that promised the promise over you in the first place. So when we go through storms, you, you find that storms are confusing. There's a lot of shaking. There's a lot of tumbling. And instead of uh, jumping ship, what we need to realize is that Jesus is in the boat with us. And he's not worried. The fact that God is uh, quiet does not change what He's trying to do. 
Okay. And you find that in a storm, uh, oftentimes we feel that God is quiet because he's sleeping. But when God is quiet, it does, uh, quiet uh, uh, silence does not mean absence. Okay. Silence does not mean absence. The fact that God might be quiet in a storm doesn't mean that he's not there. Silence doesn't equal absence. You find that a lot of times uh, married people that have been married for a long time, they can sit in silence and be very comfortable. Right? It does not equal absence. The fact that I'm quiet doesn't mean that I'm not here. And then the same thing in a storm. If a God is quiet in a storm, it doesn't mean that He is absent. He just means that He's there with you. And what He's wanting to do is He's wanting you to seek Him out where He is. Because Jesus in the, in the storm is quiet and he's actually asleep in, in the, excuse my terminology, I don't know much about boats, but in the, in the hull of the ship, I think they refer to it. He's somewhere in, he's not out in the storm. So what God is trying to tell you in a storm is that we need to seek him out. That's why it says in the, in the secret place of the Most High God, you are, uh, you are inaccessible. You, are, you find yourself in the secret place of the Most High God. Where you, are, where you are not touched, right? So in a storm, uh, we, we, we want to seek our God. In a dry season, you need to keep walking because if you, keep, if you stand still, you're going to die, right? If you have a dry season, a desert, the two things that are most common in a dry season is thirst and hunger. So we need to make sure that our thirst and our hunger is being quenched and satisfied by the right thing. Don't scratch in the natural what is itching in the spirit. You hear what I'm saying? Don't scratch in the natural what is itching in the spirit. So you are spiritually hungry, you're spiritually thirsty, and you're trying to uh, uh, scratch that itch, that spiritual itch. I'm hungry for something, I'm thirsty for something, and I'm not quite discerning what that is, and so I'm starting to look for other things to satisfy the hunger. Okay? Most people do that, that are, uh, that are firstly not spiritual, and secondly might be Christian, spiritual, but are, but are carnal. They are too controlled by the flesh. So they're, they're not discerning that God is, uh, that they're seeking something, seeking something from God that is a spiritual need, and they're going and scratching it in the, in the natural, right? People that need a lot of, people that uh, feel that uh, they're not worthy, uh, will we'll, we'll, we'll scratch uh, a, a spiritual itch of approval from God in the natural by seeking approval from people. And when they don't get approval from people, then they, they find that uh, they, they, can never, they, they can't be loved. Uh, anyone that gets close to them, they don't want to draw close. That's a, that's a spiritual itch that's getting scratched in natural. We need to understand that God is the ultimate rewarder, that God is the ultimate satisfier. And in a dry season, you must be careful that what God is, uh, what you are hungry for, you are not reverting to other things to satisfy that hunger. Because remember, seasons, if they're not dealt accurately, become cycles, right? So Egypt, or Israel is in the wilderness, and God is trying to remove Egypt from Israel, and they're not accurately discerning the season and not accurately responding to the season. So what ends up being a season and turns into a cycle where they're going around and around the same issue. And you will find that if you are not dealing with certain seasons in your life accurately, you will turn them into cycles. And five years down the line, you're still dealing with the same issue. Going around the same mountain. Right? Seasons move you forward. Cycles keep you in the same place. So if you look at Israel's journey, it was supposed to take them from Egypt into the promised land. It was a season, an in-between place that is supposed to take you forward because what God is trying to do is trying to prepare you for the next thing. Right? The next thing. And there's always a next thing. That's why the Bible says we go from glory to glory. There's always a next thing. It's never ending. If you are still alive and you're breathing, there is a next season. There is a new season. Right? There is a new lease. There is a new chapter. There is something more that you are to do. There is something more that you are to conquer. But there is a season in between that you need to get through because God is trying to prepare you 
for the next thing. And a season always takes you forward. It does not keep you in the same place. That's why we often say if, you, if you've been hurt, if you've been discouraged, if you've been disappointed, don't camp there. Don't set up a camp in the, in, the, in the wilderness, in the dry season. If you feel that no one is supporting you, it's a dry season. There's nobody around. Guess what God is trying to do? He's trying to get you to understand that, yes, people should support you, and it's nice when they do, but your ultimate support does not come from people. It comes from God. And, when you, and this is the weird thing, is that when you get the revelation to say, look, whatever, regardless whether they're here or they're not here, I'm going to do what God told me to do because that's the support. You find that all of a sudden there's a lot of people that are supporting you. Because it was never about the people, it was about yourself. Because you'll always find that you'll have people that will support you, not support you. And if you are so concerned about having the support of people, what's going to happen when there's nobody around? Right? Because that's what God is trying to get you prepared for. Because there will be times where people aren't around. There will be times where it just, it's not working. And what do we turn to then? And who do we turn to then? So a season is supposed to always take you forward. And where is it supposed to take you? It's supposed to take you to territory. It's supposed to take you to a new place. It's supposed to take you to the promised land, whatever that might be. Remember, we're using types and shadows. It's not a physical location. It's whatever God spoke to you. And oftentimes, our greatest seasons are leading us to the eternal promise or the life promise that God has put over us. Whatever that is. You know, what, what is that life promise? What has God called you to do? What has God spoken that this is your divine purpose this is your divine life promise i'm not talking about the promise of provision i'm not talking about the net the promise of of children as what's found i'm talking necessarily about what is the life promise what is the destiny promise that god has spoken over your life and your seasons will always be directly related to that you with me so Colossians 1.13, I'm going to start getting into, into the battles uh, part of, of, of our series. Colossians 1.13 says, The Father has delivered and drawn us to Himself out of the control and dominion of darkness and, not trans- and has transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. So the Father has delivered... And drawn us to himself and out of the control and the dominion of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love. So there's, there's two kingdoms, right? We have a kingdom of light or the son of his love and we have a kingdom of darkness. The word darkness there does not refer to boo, boogeyman, does not refer to spooky things. The word darkness there means ignorance. So what God says, look, I've taken you out of the kingdom of ignorance and I brought you into the kingdom of light or the kingdom of the love of my of, of my son so we understand that we are in a kingdom what are kingdoms really about kingdoms are about territory right so we have storms that are about seasons and we have battles that are about territory a battle always has to do with taking up new territory. And what is a kingdom about? A kingdom is consumed about extending and expanding its territory. Are you with me? Or the influence of, of or, or, or its influence. And it's really what it's about. It's about controlling a specific territory and its resources. Okay. I'm laying a little bit of a foundation here. A kingdom, if you look at it, any kingdom is consumed with extending itself. It's consumed by, by extending its control over or the influence over territory and its resources. There's a reason why the kingdom of God is called the kingdom of God, because there's a king. And the kingdom has certain uh, characteristics. It has certain culture. It has a culture. It has a currency. It has... Uh, 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 standards and, and values. It has a language. Any kingdom, you understand, has certain characteristics. And a kingdom is consumed by extending its influence. 
So battles, whenever you have a battle in the natural, what is it about? It's about extending the influence of a specific kingdom into another territory, right? And it's about extending its influence, but it's, it's about gaining control of the territory and its resources. So battles are really fought about, uh, 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 about territory. Who is controlling a specific territory, right? Are you with me? You missed with me this morning. So God's original purpose for man was to control a specific territory. Genesis 1.26 says, God said, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make mankind in our image after our likeness and let them have complete authority over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the tame beasts, and over all the earth and over everything that creeps upon the earth. Your purpose, the reason why you and I created us is for this, is to control and have influence and dominion over a specific territory. Okay? To do what? To create an extension of heaven on the earth. Okay, maybe I must redo our kingdom teachings. Because I think I've spoken about this a few times. So God says, I'm going to make earth as an extension of heaven. And I'm going to give man control and authority over that territory. That was the original purpose and it still remains the same purpose. Because God's purpose for you and I never changed. So God says, here's a piece of territory. I'm giving you authority to control it, to, to subdue it, to manage it, to be fruitful, to multiply. What does that mean? To make it bear and be the same resemblance as what heaven is. Because that's what Jesus says. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Right? Let's make a distinction here. You were not given territory. You've been given authority over territory and control. Okay? You and I have been given delegated authority. What does that mean? Is that you have been given authority. You do not control a territory. You've been given authority over that territory. Right? How does that work? Well, in your, in your, in your work, uh, wherever you work, You've been given specific territory. You've been given specific uh, sphere of influence. If you're the, in the accounts department, then you're the bookkeeper. Then your circle, your territory in the accounts department is whatever falls within that department, right? You don't just you didn't just arrive to work one day and say, "I am in the accounts department," right? If you're in the accounts department and you go to HR and you say, ah, well, I'm in HR today, they're going to look at you like you're crazy because they're going to say to you, under whose authority did you decide to do that, right? What does that mean? You're given delegated authority. You have authority because you are under authority. You have authority in your department wherever you work because you've been given delegated authority. You have authority in your department because you are under authority of your supervisor, your manager, your CEO, whoever that is. So God says, I've given you authority under a specific sphere, a specific territory, but you only have authority when you are under my authority. Okay. You can't just decide to have authority of a piece of uh, a territory and control over it just because you decide. Someone must give that to you. Someone must delegate that to you. And God says, I've given you delegated authority of a specific territory. And when I give you authority over the territory, you have the power to decide what happens with it. You have the power to decide what happens because I've given you authority Delegated authority. You're, uh, one of the things I hate, hate is a very strong word, but I don't like it, is micromanagement. I am not a micromanager. I don't like to be micromanaged. I don't like it. I, I do not function well when somebody tries to micromanage me. I am old enough to manage myself, and I have the ability to do that and the discipline to do this. When, if you give me an assignment, Tell me what the result you want and we'll come up with a plan. But don't micromanage every single step of the way because I don't work like that. And I don't work like that personally and I don't work like that 
with people. Because my understanding is if there is an assignment given to you, you should have the insight to come up with a plan. And if you don't, come and ask me and work out a plan together and we will get the thing done. Otherwise, if I'm going to micromanage you, what am I actually doing? I'm creating more work for myself. Because now instead of just doing it by myself in the first place, I've given it to you and I have to check every step of the way. So why not just do it myself in the first place? You're not solving a problem, you're creating one when you can't manage yourself. So the same thing with God. God says, look, I've given it to you and I'm not going to micromanage you. You know what the result is and you know what the outcome you want to have. But here's authority. But my authority comes with a certain prescription and that is this. If you want my authority, my delegate authority, you've got to be under my authority in the first place. You've got to come and submit underneath me so that I can give you that authority. Okay, are you with me? Okay, maybe I'll, maybe I'll just do the next series will be about kingdom. Okay. So you don't, get, you don't own territory, you are given authority over it. Do you know that if you own a house, you actually don't own it? Everyone gets so excited about owning a piece of land in a house. You actually don't own it. Do you know who owns it? The government. What they do is they lease. That's what a... Right? They give you control. They lease control. When you buy a piece of property, they lease control over that piece of property to you. Technically, they can come and just take your property. Technically, if they, if, you know. They could. Why? Because they own it. It's belongs, it doesn't really belong to you or I. It belongs to the Republic of South Africa. And the Republic of South Africa has given you what? Authority to control the resources and that territory. Okay. It's a teaching this morning. <laughs> See, you need to understand this. Delegated authority, because if, unless you understand delegated authority, you will live, you will never be able to take control of the place that God has put you in, and you will always lead, live a defeated life. Because you're going to be, what is, a what is a kingdom consumed about? Extending its influence. And we have two kingdoms. We have a kingdom of light and we have a kingdom of darkness. And they are at loggerheads together. So guess what? The kingdom of darkness is trying to expand. And the kingdom of light is trying to expand. So if you don't understand delegate authority, guess who's trying to come against you? The kingdom of darkness. And the kingdom of darkness is just as consumed and concerned about extending its influence into control as what the kingdom of light is, the kingdom of God is. And if you don't understand you have authority and delegated authority in the place where you're at, you will live consistently live a defeated life because you will never know that, hey, there I'm come, there's a battle against me and I'll get to what the battle is about, but there's a battle against what? The control of the territory. It's not against you. Don't take it personally. I know we like to think it's about us, but it's not. The battles that you and I face is not about you and I. It is about the territory that you are controlling. Don't take it personally. You know, it's, we're not so great. <laughs> we're not so, you know... We have some, sometimes some ego complexes. We think, oh, it's about, it's not about you. It's about the territory that you're occupying. And there's a constant battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And remember, the kingdom of darkness is about what? It's about ignorance. It's trying to take you into a place of ignorance, which means you don't understand the place where you're in. Or you don't have understanding. You don't have wisdom. You don't have discernment about where you're at. So there's constantly a battle back and forth. A kingdom is consumed by extending its territory. It's consumed by extending its influence to new regions and new areas. In Rome, and actually any other kingdom, if you look at it, you will know it as colonialism. Can I tell you that God was the first colonialist? Do you know that? Because what did he try to do? He tried to create a colony of heaven in the earth. What is the kingdom? What, is, what, what did they try to do when they, when they try to extend the kingdom? 
So they conquer an area and they put a governor in that area. And that governor's responsibility is to change the area to look, to sound, to feel like the original country. Right? So, bring it home. Uh, Britain. Why do you think we speak English? Because the British Empire extended. Why do you think that in the Bahamas it's so hot they drink tea at 4 o'clock in the afternoon? Because that's what they do in England. So kingdom is consumed. So, so they'll send the governor into that area. And the governor has the authority of the king. And his, re, or his responsibility is to change the surroundings. So he'll bring in architects. He'll bring in uh, linguistic specialists. He'll bring in artists to do what? To change the way the environment looks. And the way the environment sounds the language. And the way the environment functions, the standards and the systems and the currency, right? So that it looks exactly like the original. So when the king comes, he'll feel at home. Okay. Why did we have the pound for so long? Listen, England's like 8,000 kilometers away. Why? Because they, they were consumed with changing the influence. Because I, they understood if, if the place looks and sounds the same as what the original, I'll have far more influence. I can tell them. Right? So the kingdom of God is consumed in the same way. Extending its influence to the territory which you have been given so that you are the governor in the territory which you are placed. Right? Your circle of whatever, circle of influence, your sphere of influence. And what God is, in essence, is telling you to do is to change the territory so that it looks the same, it sounds the same, it functions according to the same standard, it has the same currency as the original, which is heaven. So that you can create a colony, or an extension of heaven, and you can bring heaven down to earth. You and our purpose is not to go to heaven, it's actually to bring heaven down to earth. Which is what God wanted to do in the first place. Right? And this is now where the battle comes. Because the battle is about driving out the inhabitants of a certain territory. Remember I said to you that your season prepares you for the battle that's ahead. It prepares you for the promised land. When Israel walked into the promised land, they didn't look around and say, wow, this promised land has been, has been prepared for us for thousands of years. There's nobody here. We're just going to walk in there. The promised land was inhabited by uh, aliens, by people that had no authority in their place, but had basically started squatting there. They had no authority in their place. So God says, when you get to the promised land, you need to drive out the inhabitants. What do you need to do? You need to change the territory that I've given you authority over. You need to fight them. You need to drive them out so that the territory that I give you sounds, looks, and functions in the same way and the same standards that I've given to you. So the battle that you and I face is not necessarily against us. It's against the territory that we occupy. You'll find that the more you start doing things according to God's way, you'll find that you'll have more battles. But you need to understand the battles are, are actually, I think that they're a little bit easier to deal with than, than seasons. Because seasons has to do with your own heart. Battles have to do with, an, with, with occupying territory. A season is more difficult to discern and to navigate properly. Why? Because it's got to do with yourself. And you've got to be open to introspect and change and recognize I am misaligned here. A battle has to do with taking up authority. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes battles last a little bit longer, but it's still a battle and it will end. Because the enemy, the, the, the enemy is a defeated foe anyway. Battles have to do with territory and about the authority and the control over the territory. So in the beginning, God says, 
this is what I want you to do. I want you to occupy. I want you to, I want you to uh, manage. I want, and, and, and that's the first thing that God says to man. And what is the last thing that God says to man directly? It's found in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And it says, Jesus approached and breaking the silence said to all, of the, all authority, all power of rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go then and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you uh, all the days to the very close and consummation of, of the age. He says, he talks about authority and he says, go into all the nations. What does it mean? Territory. So the first thing God says to, to, to man is, here's some territory, occupy it. And the last thing he says to man is, says, here's this territory, go out and occupy it. It has not changed. The kingdom of God and its, and its intention has not changed. It is to extend and occupy and, and extend its influence and occupy territory. So we talk about the kingdom of God. Where is the kingdom of God? Within us. I'm glad somebody knows what, that it's within you. Luke 17, 21 says, Nor will people say, Look, here it is, or see, it is there. For behold, the kingdom of God is with you, and in your hearts, and among you, surrounding you. The kingdom of God is within you. So the first piece of territory that you've been given control over is what? Yourself. So within yourself, there is a battle. What is the battle? It's trying to remove you from the kingdom of light and take you into the kingdom of darkness, which is what? Ignorance. The first place that you have control over is yourself. Because where is the kingdom of God? It's within you. And God has said, this is the kingdom of God. I've given authority and I've given you ability to control yourself. What is the kingdom about? What is the kingdom of God? A little bit more difficult, but it's still in Scripture. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Remember, we are talking about extending territory. So if the kingdom of God is what? Righteousness, peace, and joy. What is God telling us? Firstly, is He says, there's territory that you control. And I want you to bring the kingdom of God into the territory. What is the kingdom of God? It's righteousness, peace, and joy. So what do I want you to bring into the territory? Righteousness, righteousness peace, and joy. What is righteousness? It is right standing. Being in alignment with God in right standing. So we know eternally we have been brought into right standing with God through Jesus Christ, right? means that we are not on the outside, we are on the inside, and through Christ we can always approach Him. But right standing also has to do with how we are aligned with the standards of God, right? Because I can be eternally in right standing with God, but I can be misaligned with some standards of God. I can be eternally aligned with God and where my, my eternal salvation, my eternal place where I need to be. But I can be misaligned with the standards of God and how I function and how I control a territory. And how I control a territory, the right standing, the, the standards, the, 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 the alignment with the Word of God. How I control that territory will determine how fruitful it is. It says righteousness, peace, and joy. If you are misaligned with the standards of God, guess what? You're not going to have any peace. I don't know this. If you have a temper issue, you will have zero peace because you're going to be fighting everybody. The Bible says, get angry, but do not sin. There's a, there's, there's a place for righteous anger, but not just because we can't control ourselves. Right? So when you misalign with the, with, the, with the principles of God and standards of God, guess what? There's no peace. There's no peace. There's no... Uh, what is the opposite of peace? War. What is war? Found? Battle. So the moment that we start misaligning ourselves, we start to find more and more internal battles because we are not in right standing with God. We are now at war with His standards. We are fighting a battle. And which means that, what's this lasting joy in the Holy Ghost? If you have no peace, you will find no joy. 
Nobody finds joy in, in a time of war. Everybody finds joy in a time of peace, isn't it? So right alignment, right standing equals peace, a time of peace. We're not at war and which equals joy in the Holy Ghost. So where is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is within you. That is the territory that you've been given, firstly. And God says, well, here's the thing. Within that territory, this is what I want. I want the kingdom of God formed there. What is the kingdom of God? Righteousness, alignment, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Anxiety, I've said this, anxiety is not a part of God. Okay? Anxiety is not a part of God. But what happens is that we misalign the standard of God, think, uh, the way we think about a certain thing, that leads to a disconnect war between the two standards, which leads to no joy. Nobody that is anxious that I know of has any joy. I don't know if you've met anyone like that, but I certainly haven't met anyone like that. So let's go back to uh, delegated authority. Genesis 2, 15 to 70 says, The Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Uh, skip to Genesis 3, 1 to 6. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, God Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it, you shall not touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that on the day that you eat of your, eye, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband, and he ate. The serpent didn't go and wrestle authority away from Adam. There was no fight. They didn't get into a battle fight. They didn't draw swords. They didn't take out guns. The only thing that the enemy did to Adam, and I'm saying Adam because the instruction was from God to Adam, was not to Eve. Was that he did not listen. This was the issue. He did not listen to what God said in the first place. God says don't eat. He didn't say don't touch. So already what the enemy was doing was planting seeds of doubt. He said, is that really what God said? Is that really what he said? It's this, we need to get, we need to become a bit smarter. He's doing the same trick as what he did thousands of years ago. It's the same, he has not changed his trick. He has not changed his, 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 his the enemy has no ability over, or power over you and I as, as, a, as, a, as, as a born again Christian other than the, 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 the power of suggestion. You know, have you ever watched uh, magic tricks? The, the card doesn't appear out of thin air. It's a, the power of suggestion and, 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 and sleight of hand. You're looking this way while you're looking at this hand while this hand is doing something else. And it's the same thing with enemy. And it's the same thing that he's constantly trying to do with you and I. He's constantly trying to question what God has said to you and me. Why? Because he's trying to bring you into the kingdom of ignorance again. That is why you need to know the word. Because by the way, he knows the word just as well as you do and sometimes even better. What you don't know, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. My people. 
God says, for lack of knowledge. What you don't know is hurting you. And when you don't know the word, he'll start to twist things around and says, oh, is that what he really said? Did he really say that you can't eat of any? It's like, no, he said we can eat. Now all of a sudden you're trying to justify. He says we can eat, but we can't eat of this tree and we can't even touch it. That's not what he said. And you can look at it and say, oh, but that's such a small, you know, it's, you know, it's just such a small thing that she made a mistake with. Well, the Bible also says, do not give the enemy a foothold. Don't give them an inch. Don't give them, don't give them an entryway to start planting seeds of doubt and seeds of questioning of what God has said in the first place. So he starts with a question, is that what he really said? And what does he do? Adam does not go into a battle for authority. Adam relinquishes it. Adam gives it away. Why do I say that? Because whatever you submit yourself to becomes Lord over you. Okay. Right? Whatever you put yourself under the authority over becomes Lord over you. So when I submit myself to a specific person, guess what? They have authority over me. In your work, you have to submit yourself to your boss to have authority. If you don't submit, guess what? You're, not, you're, not gonna, you're gonna be out of a job, never mind authority. Right, isn't it? When you don't do what your boss tells you to do, what do they say? Ugh, let's just move this person away from that because they were not listening. They're not doing what I said they need to do, right? So when I submit myself to God, I have authority over the place that I've been given. When I do not submit to what God is saying, it's not that God is wrestling authority away from me. It's not that me and the devil are in a fight and now he's knocked me out and he's taken authority over me and conquered me. What he's actually doing is the enemy is, because he has no power, the enemy is trying to plant seeds of that to get me to listen to him instead of God. And when I listen to him, what do I do? I relinquish my authority. And, my, and I place myself underneath somebody that has no authority. Do you, do you see how that works? I went from somebody, God, who has given me authority over everything, Jesus, all authority is given unto me, now they go forth, right? I've given the authority to you. When I don't listen to what God is saying, when I don't do the word, when I, when I, when I uh, get offended, when I get you know, all in a bad attitude, guess what? I'm allowing myself to be submitted under something that has no authority. The enemy has zero authority. He walks around like a roaring lion. doesn't say he is one. He pretends to be. He's the prince of the air, of nothing. The air, who owns air? Nobody. He's the prince of the air, of nothing. He's the prince of nothing. He has no authority. He masquerades around like an angel of light. He masquerades, he puts on a show. What is he? He is a deceiver. He is counterfeit. He looks like something that's real, that has no value. That's what a counterfeit note is. You take a counterfeit note, it looks the same, smells the same, even might feel the same. But you take it to the bank and say, this thing has no value. So when the enemy is trying to do anything, he's trying to present something to you that is counterfeit. It looks like the real thing. It seems, it might even smell and feel like the real thing. But you, when you actually go and take it to deposit, it has zero value. Right? So what a, what a lot of people do is they say, oh, I'm the, the enemy. No, no, no. The enemy has no power. The only power the enemy has is for you to relinquish your authority over to him. And what authority do you get in return? Zero. It's the same thing he told Jesus in the wilderness. He says, if you will bow down to me, I will give you. He had nothing to give. He doesn't own anything. He has no authority. He is a defeated foe, right? So you look, to, I'll give you everything. It's counterfeit. It looks like it has value, but it doesn't. 
So what we do is we relinquish authority. So Adam, he was not in a fight. And really our battles are about relinquishing the authority that we have to somebody that has nothing. But here, here's, the, here's the good part of it. Is that even when we mess up, and this is the grace part of it. See, kingdom, kingdom, when you talk about a kingdom teaching and this kind of thing, it's very easy to go over into law. It's very easy to go over into one, two, three, four, and you've got, at the end of the day, we all mess up. We all go uh, one way and we misalign. That's why God put a place where we can repent and we can come back into alignment. And that's the good news is that through Jesus, we align with God continually. We might misalign ourselves in thought, in deed, and action, but we can always come back and we can say, oh, hold on, uh, I'm, 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 I missed it there and I can come back and I can regain authority. The prodigal son being brought back into the original right standing with, he was always in right standing relationally with God, with, with his father, right? His father never disowned him. That's the grace part. But he still had to come back because where he went, he, he left the authority of the household and he went and joined himself to a man of another country and he had no authority. He was literally with pigs. He said, let me go back to my father. And he goes back to his father and his father relationally is still in right, still right standing. That's grace. And he comes back and he puts him into a place and he puts a robe on him and a finger to signify authority and right standing in the household. Right? But here's the thing. When you move away, you lose the authority of the household. And you still have to come back and regain the territory. You still have to come back and regain the standing of it. And what a lot of people do is that they don't realize that when they do that, and one of the easiest ways to lose your authority is just to get offended. Well, just straight up. Get offended with, with, with your husband. Get offended with your wife. Get offended with your kids. Get offended with your parents. Get offended with the church. Get offended with me. And you find that it was never about me and what I did. You find that God was allowing certain things to happen to test your heart. And in that misaccuracy of handling that thing, you lose the authority. And guess what? And I've spoken about the heart condition. You start to not be able to produce and not to be fruitful. There are times, yes, where we have to leave. There are times and seasons where we say, uh, this is not the place for me anymore, or this is the, 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 the trust has been broken, or whatever the case is. But one of the, 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 the greatest enemies and the greatest weapons and the greatest battles that you and I face when we are in the kingdom of God is the battle of offense. Because what the enemy is trying to do is trying to get you to relinquish the authority that you've been given in the territory and give it over to somebody else because of a heart condition. I don't like the way you spoke to me. I found that a lot of offended people and a lot of offended um, situations are just misunderstandings. You didn't read my tone right. You didn't read my email in the right way that I said it. You know, really, really things. And you think that that's, uh, in, in a, and I'm going to close with it. In a church, where do you think, because what is the church about? It's about extending territory. Every single one of you here is a territory that's been extended to. So what do you think that the, the, the enemy is going to try to do with the church? It's going to start trying to infiltrate and bring in ignorance amongst the people. Ignorance about offense, ignorance about the word, ignorance about how to handle your life. Why? Because if he can get you ignorant, he can weaken you. And when you are weakened, you cannot, you cannot extend any territory. Or it's going to get you to believe that the kingdom of God is about you and you alone. If he can get you to understand or believe that the kingdom of God is about you and what you get, it's okay because then it starts and ends with you. And you're not extending the kingdom to anybody else. 
So I want to encourage you this morning to, to discern when you're in seasons, discern when you're in battles. Understand that the battle comes against, not against you, but against the territory that you're occupying. But don't be afraid of battles. Don't be afraid. Some people listen to this and like, oh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to invite anybody to church. I don't want to be in a battle. I don't want to be in a battle. I'm not going to do that. You need to understand that when you, when you conquer territory, when you conquer territory, who becomes the king? The king becomes the person that's been placed in that territory. And when you conquer territory, God honors that. Why? Because you're extending. You see, you're showing God that I can take your agenda and I can be about your, about your kingdom. And when I take the agenda of the kingdom and I take it and extend it, God honors that and God elevates. Right? So I don't want you to be discouraged to say, Ooh, I don't want to, this is a bit rough. I don't want to be in battles. Battles are easy. Battles are not difficult. It's about taking authority over something. Some battles are extended. Some battles are prolonged. That's fine. It happens. But the battle is against your mind. It's against your, your what against the territory that you can't try and occupy. And, and we need to continue to occupy. We need to extend. Right? One of the greatest challenges that I face as, as, as a pastor is trying to get people to understand that the kingdom of God is not necessarily about them. It's not about them. I can tell you, if, if the kingdom of God was about me, I would not be here. I would not be here. I wouldn't. Like, a straight up. Now you might get offended with me for that, for saying that. But it's not about me. If the kingdom of God was about me and me alone, I would not be here every Sunday. I would have not left to go fetch another laptop so that we can have praise and worship this morning. Because it's not about, it's about me. And it's about my comfort. The kingdom of God is about you, but it's about you extending the kingdom, righteousness and peace and joy into the areas around you. And the currency, and if the kingdom, if territory is about people, if the territory, if the kingdom of God's territory is within you, where's the kingdom of, kingdom of God out there? It's within people. Isn't it? Think about it. If the kingdom of God is within you, then where is the kingdom of God out, outside of you? Yeah. It's in other people. It's not a physical location. So when God says, I want you to extend my kingdom, what is he saying? I want you to extend me into others. I want you to extend righteousness, peace, and joy into other people. Right? So our primary thing is, yes, we need to be aligned with God. We need to pursue the kingdom of God. We need to pursue His presence. But all of those things is about extending the kingdom of God. 